Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Tori, and with me is... CJ! Yeah, so Amato is not here today due to some unforeseen family circumstances. We miss you, Amato. Okay. So I did get to do the intro on my own, so I hope I did good. This will be fun, just the two of us. Yeah, yeah. CJ, you've been on before many times. Yeah. I, the first one was Father's Heart, right? Yes, which had a lot of false starts. Right. <laughs> which makes today interesting. <laughs> which has also been happening to us with this one, but hey, mm-hmm. you know, we don't think you're cursed or anything. Just no, no. Maybe a little bit jinxed. I, I might think I'm cursed, but <laughs> I'm glad you don't. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but we're going to talk about one of my favorite fandoms ever. Yes. Speaking okay. of curses and jinxes. Yeah. Features often in The X-Files. So mm-hmm. The truth is out there. It is. Um, probably. I hope so. Yeah. The truth about this fan fiction is out there. <laughs> We're going to try and find it. We are, because th- this one's a bit of a mystery. But um, mm-hmm. before we get to that, let's talk about... We haven't... I don't think we've done X-Files, so... No? I don't think so. CJ, what's your background with X-Files? I have been a super fan in the past. I got really into it. Um, I started like a little X-Files viewing club in college where we'd all meet up and watch an episode a night for many, many nights in a row through most of the seasons, I think. Um, Yeah, so I'm a big, big fan back in high school. So I'm a bit rusty now, but... I know the lore. <laughs> yeah, that's still better than me. I So, I'm a little ashamed of myself because I always wanted to get into X-Files. And I remember when you and Galen were watching it together, CJ, like, mm-hmm. and I was like, I tried to watch it. And I was like, I was always frustrated at the level of mystery. I wanted there to be, I don't know, something that you could pull apart and unravel and find the the actual answer towards mm-hmm. the end rather than yeah. it just being like a lot of times it's like you, you I don't know you never really see what causes mm-hmm. these strange things it's just a lot of speculation it's the perpetual tension and and for many people like me the draw right mm-hmm. for the uninitiated which if you haven't seen the x-files or are not interested in it I don't know why you're listening to this, but <laughs> if it might make you interested, great. Um, but it's it's a mostly 90s television show about two uh, FBI agents who investigate strange occurrences. We're not going to say paranormal because one of them totally believes it, like yeah. whatever they're investigating is paranormal. And, you know, he has a background in psychology. And his, he's partnered with a young medical doctor who's like, no, no, there's always a scientific explanation. And she's like, <laughs> she should be right all the time, but she like never is. <laughs> it's weird but, though, because yeah. yeah, I think you could take it from either character's perspective. Mm-hmm. But what I find funny is that sometimes it seems like neither of them is right, that they're both like, yeah. they're both swinging wildly in different directions. Yeah. Oh, and I just remembered we did do another X-Files fan fiction mm-hmm. about, um, uh, Mulder's sister. It was, it was Samantha. very interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
It, um, but so we did like I guess, rewrite? talk about that. It, it was her ending. I'll, I'll share the link with you when I find it, CJ, because I think nice. you'd appreciate it. Um, yeah. it had like his sister came back, you know, as mm-hmm. a kid, but she was still a child and the, the well, ending ended yeah. up being not what you expected at all. So, well, I mean, it's fitting for this episode because apparently this writer wrote this episode, uh, while The X-Files was being aired during Season 7, in February 2000, they said it was uh, intended to be read between the episodes 712 and 713, which were filler episodes, oh. but had just been um, right after the kind of closing of Samantha's story, yeah. so, um, which Mulder believes was an alien abduction and yeah. is the whole reason why he does what he does. Um, it turns out differently, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's fitting, (laughs) fitting segue, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, now we're going to talk through this story. It's, it's a pretty short one. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say it's, uh, three chapters, three, no, seven, that is about 8,000 words. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. written in three chapters. Um, and it's narrated from the perspective of a college-age young woman working in a coffee shop in a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, small town in winter. And I'm assuming it's somewhere in, like, the northeast. Yeah. Um, it seems like it. Yeah. Um, and she kind of identifies herself as this, as you mentioned, author, CJ, kind of an observer type. Like, she's mm-hmm. always... Self-described. Yes, yeah. self-described. You know, she says, um, the story of people is like that. It's made of bits and shards of things, a smell that sits in the air, the slide of a finger. We steal what we can see and piece it together and mend the seams to make a story. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not exactly what I was looking for. But anyway, she's kind of like a, this, this nice opening thing where she's talking about winter and the ice under the bridge and how things are still and unmoving. Mm-hmm. And how it's a good opener for, uh, this is a story that I'm telling from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And it puts a little neat bow on it. And so she's working in a coffee shop. And um, what's the first thing that happens there, CJ? Well, the first thing that happens is someone strange enters the coffee shop from the cold, wintry outside. And is very disoriented and very hungry and doesn't really know what's going on. So she, you know, slowly questions this person and kind of figures out that he was lost in the woods, um, but he doesn't really know why or where or how he got there. So she ends up calling uh, the local sheriff, which is a friend of her family's, to come and, and help this person. Yeah, and she mentions that he has a particular odor that I think she says, like, houseless people and or homeless people and, uh, I don't know, some other people have. I, I think she's just talking about not showering in a really long time. Like, yeah, just, like, the outside smell, I guess. Yeah. yeah, being out for a long time. Yeah, he's just very ragged. Yeah, he said he was lost on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sheriff, Wayne, I believe, mm-hmm. comes down. He's a chief of police, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts questioning this man whose name is Thomas Hopkins. Yes. And it turns out 
here in the year 2000 that Thomas Hopkins has been missing since 1996. Yeah. And so. he does not look like he's changed today. And uh, there's a lot of speculation and hullabaloo over his rediscovery. Because I think he's discovered states away from home, like from where he disappeared uh, so yeah. many years ago. Yeah. But is it... Is- he has changed, though, right? Because he's kind of, like, ragged now. I'm sorry, 1994. Yeah, he's he looks ragged. Yeah. But he it doesn't look like he's aged too aged, much. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so he's been missing for six years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so that leads into our uh, heroes entering town. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is a strange interstate case, the FBI is called in. And we uh, we get to see two uh, very familiar-looking FBI agents enter town to investigate this. Right. And now I'm actually looking at this, and it says um, she had followed Thomas Hopkins from Pennsylvania in 1994 to Bradenton, the name of their town, in 2006. Mm-hmm. So it's actually been a longer time than that. So gotcha. at least this said in at least 2006. It's written in 2000, but it's set in the future, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Nice. Nicely caught. Um, yeah, so this person is kind of, you know, nosy, interested, not much is happening in town. So uh, she's been looking up uh, Thomas Hopkins and has discovered that these FBI agents that have come into town have been investigating his disappearance uh, since the beginning. So. Yes. And there's some more details there that I'm, I'm trying to remember, but. Yeah, it's like, he basically, yeah, he basically just disappeared for a really long time without a trace. Um, so the FBI agents are a man and a woman, and we assume they're Mulder and Scully. And right. They look, their appearances are identified similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, Scully got a haircut, though. Yeah. Which, in the show, she does. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, okay, there you yeah. go. You're like, okay, well, that sounds like <laughs> Scully. <laughs> um, yeah. And our observer notices that the two of them are very close. Um, toward the end of the first chapter, kind of describes how this the male FBI agent is looking very concerned, and kind of his eyes doesn't they don't leave her uh, his partner uh, very often, and yeah, that he seems kind of protective. Yeah, yeah, he's. And she's kind of distracted, that's mm-hmm. the first thing. Yeah. That Wendy is the name of our narrator, he notices. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to part two. Mm-hmm. Part two of three. What happens there, Tori? Well, so basically a couple weeks pass, and there are two more, let's see, uh, I think two more bodies. No, not two more people, sorry. There's two people who are found in the woods. Um, I'm trying to see. Maybe it's not two, but a couple of bodies are found in the woods. Mm-hmm. And one is this woman, um, who no one really knew, but the narrator gets a chance to like look at her face and imagine who she could have been. She's a young girl and it's, it's kind of got that, um, the tone I feel like of X Files, like that kind of like personal connection right. yeah. to this, it's like the dead stranger, you know. Yeah, I think I think that um, 
there are uh, several. I don't know how many. I don't think they're clear on that. Um, but there are a few bodies that are found, and our our narrator gets the chance to be at the scene as mm-hmm. one of them is pulled down from the mountain and gets to see this person's face, which I assume is the first dead person that they've seen. Yeah. And, you know, gives a very uh, detailed description of this, like, girl's face, like, the fact that, you know, there are piercings in her ears, so she's clearly from town, which is very far from there, so kind of giving more clues that yeah, that maybe there's something weird going on on this mountain. Yep. Uh, it's drawing people from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, little clues like that. Of course, you know, with the X-Files, you never know how the pieces are going to fall. So Sometimes you never, ever find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what I do like in this story and is the narrator's voice is very strong. And, you know, she has observational quality, right? So she gets to kind of piece it together mm-hmm. like you would if you were watching an X-Files episode because it has that kind of procedural element of, like, following the details. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's what every X Files fan likes to do, is kind of you know play the investigator as well alongside Mulder and Scully. So you know, yeah, <laughs> and then she gets to be really self aware about it because yeah. she talks about the man who came into the coffee shop, and she describes herself as like everyone wanted to have. I think it was the man coming in the coffee shop, but mm-hmm. this might be something that happened later. But it doesn't matter anyway. She. Describes like everyone wanted a piece of in the story. They wanted a place in the story, and her and she had her own relationship to it. Yeah, and well, that's exactly what happens. Is right after this, you know, there's a lot of speculation about, oh, well, why was Thomas Hopkins found alive, and did he kill those people? And everybody's trying to come up with their own theory, and they all have their own like reason for believing. Oh, like it was the mob, or it was this. It, this person has a connection to this person. They said, you know, it's like this whole small town talk thing and everybody's playing yeah. investigator, right? Yeah. So, and what she says is people choose the story that puts them in the center. Exactly. Closest to the center of the narrative. Exactly. And she does that for herself and she's aware of it. And openly she, admits, like, yeah. you know, I'm pretty interested because I was there from the outset, right? So, yeah. It makes her like, you know, like the X-Files fan who's watching the X-Files and it also just makes her kind of likable. Yeah, because you you're know? like... I would do that, too. I'd be really, really curious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, some more, more bodies are found um, until, I don't know if it happens yet, but... Um, well, um, yeah, what does happen next here? There are more observations um, of the dynamic between the two FBI agents. Um, you know they're very close. Um, there's some there's some hand touching over the table. Oh yes, things like that, which is not very professional. So obviously mm-hmm. they're going to take note. Um, and then, <laughs> well, there's oh um, yeah, there's a woman who's found. Um, yeah, there's there's some more like investigation by our our narrator, um, looking into some of these people that have been found, and then yes, then another live person is found coming down from the mountain, um, which somehow our narrator finds a way to yep, to he, ru- to run across. <laughs> yeah, right there. <laughs> but you know that's the interesting thing about our narrator that. Um, 
you don't really notice when you're moving through the story because you're like, oh, we're being led through the story by this narrator, but it seems like it might be relevant later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's the one who comes and, well, she happens to have the connection with the police chief. So she comes yeah. over and brings coffee and mm-hmm. tries to help this woman get warm. And then, um, is she the one who calls the FBI? No, the police chief calls the FBI agents. Yeah. And they come over. And, you know, the first thing Scully does is, like, you give the woman an examination and be like, you dumbasses, she's suffering from hypothermia. Yeah, like, you gotta, like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's immediately taken to the hospital. Not a lot of information is got out of this woman, like, at all. She's very disoriented. Um, and the scene is quite short, but you're getting the idea that, like, maybe it's the cold mm. that's killing these people. And maybe they're, they were, like, like, there's more speculation, right? Like... Maybe it's parties or something. Yeah. Going on there. <laughs> it wouldn't um, really be anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember, though, if we learn this woman's name. No, we don't. Yeah, she's just kind of there and then gone. Oh. No, I'm wrong. We do find her name. Her name is Sally Cookson, and she disappeared in 1996. Ah, so two years after the, the first Thomas Hopkins disappeared. Yes. Disappeared. And through eavesdropping... Uh, our narrator, Wendy, I believe is our narrator, mm-hmm. discovers that uh, Sally Cook has been in Scully's um, case files for a very long time as well. Yeah, she has a lot of eavesdropping because yeah. I guess this might be the only coffee shop in town, so the agents are always there. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, though, like, what else are you going to do when you're in a small town serving coffee? Of course right. you're going to eavesdrop on the FBI agents. And luckily for, for her... The coffee shop is the only place for the FBI agents to, like, go and have a meal and, like, right. sit down and talk through things. So so we learned through their conversation that she, this person that was found on the mountain, had hypothermia, frostbite, and a strange scar. And so all of us Xbox fans are like, well, obviously, alien abduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, you know, it was a big alien abduction dump and, like, a bunch of people have been returned, right? But... You know, obviously, earlier in the season, in season seven, there was a very, very big, like, return to uh, the alien abduction storyline, which had been dropped for a long time. So, uh, I think, and there was, like, a lot of excitement (laughs) among the fans, like, oh, we're getting back to the main storyline. So, I feel like this is kind of a person being really excited about, you know, um, getting into that. And, well, we'll continue. I'll, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, that's interesting because yeah. I, I always have the impression that there's never any, like, conclusive proof that there are aliens in X-Files. Never. But, yeah, like, you're supposed to assume, right? But, I mean, like, yeah. they have experiences that you watch them have that's like, oh, clearly it's aliens, but they can't mm. prove it, right? So Got it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, yeah, so this is, um, well... During the eavesdrop, this is when Scully, you kind of get a little more revealed about Scully. Well, yeah, um, before we touch on that, we also learn through the FBI man, um, he says, Scully, these people, there are hundreds of them since everything ended. And so far, we've only found seven alive. I appreciate your need to bear witness. I appreciate your empathy, but you're not helping these people by being here and you're not helping yourself. So now we've learned that they've been following hundreds of cases that are all very similar. And yes, and then we get into Scully's 
Yes. Which is like, Scully, the man said, these people, there are hundreds of them since everything ended. And so far, we've only found seven alive. I appreciate your need to bear witness. I appreciate your empathy, but you're not helping these people by being here. And you're not helping yourself. The woman's eyes did not move, and she spoke in a deep voice that didn't waver. I'm fine. You're not. You're too close to this. Right. And So they have an intimate moment, like, of comforting and her rejecting the comfort, just being like, no, I'm doing this. Leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, and that ends chapter two. Mm-hmm. We move on to chapter three, and there's a bunch of quiet for a while. Yeah. Um, she goes to the library and is, is, does some research, like, she kind of realizes that, um, there's been a history of this happening before in different mm-hmm. places at different times with all these bodies found in the winter, mm-hmm. you know, people coming down from the mountain or wherever with hypothermia, mm-hmm. um, and dead bodies also, so she's kind of making the connection, um, and then... And, uh, so, at some point, the FBI agents return to the coffee shop, and the narrator has the gall to ask, did something happen? (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I guess she's been around so much that they just decide to answer, and they're like, oh, there's been another body. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, there was this little moment of trust when she helped out the woman with hypothermia Mm -hmm. and and brought the coffee, and then, um, the, the man... Who we seem to be Mulder, because at this point he has been addressed as Mulder um, at the end of the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of tells her, like, oh, thanks for everything. We don't really need your help anymore. Scurry off. So there's been kind of this building of a, a little bit of a bond, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they don't get the chance to tell her much because a big party comes in. She has to, to wait on them. Uh, and then another disoriented person enters the coffee shop. And I feel like there's this weird way where we're walking through this, but I don't know if we're describing how much the tension is kind of building, like Mm -hmm. every time another person shows up. And this is sort of like, for her, another one walks into my coffee shop. Like, this is... It's number three. We've got to figure this out. We've got to, like... Yeah. We've got to get... And the FBI agents have just left, I think. Yes, that evening, right? So that evening, another person comes in, a man, and he comes in, and it looks like he's trying to use the phone, but he can't remember a number and or, like, even how the phone works. And he's just, he just decides to leave again and, like, start wandering away. Yeah. And finally, our narrator's just like, no, like, I'm going to yeah. go and well, it's kinda go crazy. And help. He, he says he's, he's, his teeth, I don't remember if he's missing teeth or if they hurt or if he hurt, but mm-hmm. he can't eat. Anything. Right. So she quickly whips out the blender, purees him some vegetable soup, yeah. and then runs down to give it to him. Yeah, through a straw. <laughs> through a straw. I mean, fortunately, he's shuffling and he's heading towards the bridge. Otherwise, right. she wouldn't have had time to puree his soup. But yeah. I like that little thought where she's like, I am going to give this man some soup. Yes. If it kills me. <laughs> exactly. So she obviously uh, dials the um, chief of police's number again, lets him know. You probably have to meet me at the bridge. <laughs> There's another one. Uh, and so she goes down there and, you know, she, she tries to ask him, like, what's your name? Where are you from? But he's just not speaking. He's just kind of standing at the bridge, looking into the water. Yeah. And not 
Yeah. Not well, really responding. He, and he has a he has a scar as well. Uh-huh. Um on his head. Yeah. So, uh and then finally, our FBI agents return. And uh what would you say happens here, Tori? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting. It's the the man comes back first and tries to talk to the guy and he and he doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. And then he calls Scully and right. she's He says, Scully, I need you down at the bridge. Yeah. So she's not with him. She but he waits for her to arrive. Right. And I mean, I want to describe this in a way that does it justice. We should just read it. Where do we start? <laughs> I know, where do we start? It's really well done. Mm-hmm. So Scully shows up. Um, here we go. Here, I can, I can read Yeah, go for it. Uh, so here, here she is writing. Headlights flash, uh, headlights flashed across the steel frame of the bridge. The FBI agent shaded his eyes against the light, peered at the oncoming car. The headlights dimmed and his partner emerged. He walked to her, intercepted her as she came onto the bridge. She stood straight with her arms stiff at her sides. I couldn't see the FBI man's face. He was standing with his back to me, but he didn't seem to notice her posture. He put his hands on her shoulders, then drew them down her arms until he stood clasping her hands in his. His head moved as he spoke to her, and suddenly she looked up at me, at the stranger, tried to tug her hands away from her partner's. He held her there for a moment until she turned back and looked him in the eye. Then he nodded slightly, squeezed her hands, and let her go. She came past me. When she moved forward, her partner did not follow, but stayed apart. With me. She moved stiffly, deliberately, and her face was still. She walked next to the strange man and looked at his face as he stood staring at the water. He did not look up at first. She reached out and touched him on the cheek. He flinched and slapped the hand away, then turned his head to look at the woman. I spoke. His mouth is hurt. My words were too loud, and I knew I should not have broken the silence. I looked over at the male FBI agent, but he wasn't watching me, didn't notice me. He was watching the other two. The stranger turned his body toward the woman and stepped close to him, so close that I couldn't see the dim light between them. Do you know who I am, she said. I watched her face change as she spoke, saw her struggling to keep it still and unbroken. The man didn't acknowledge her words. She spoke again. Do you remember me? The man looked at her and lifted his hand to her head, petted her there, and drew out several strands of hair, let them fall. He parted his lips, and I saw the anger gap where the teeth were missing. Cut your hair, he said. A sound came from the woman then. A sob held back, and she pressed her palms flat against the stranger's ribcage and bent her head, let her forehead fall against him. When she lifted her face, her eyes were wet. He touched her hair again, bent to sniff it, ran one finger down the line of her part. He took her right hand and held it up to the fading light of evening. His fingers traced the smooth curve of her thumbnail, the ridges between her knuckles, the dish of her palm. He nodded. I've been looking for you, Mulder, she said. Her voice was deep and cracked. I've been looking for you. He moved against her then, leaned his body forward so that there was no space between them. I saw her stumble, shift her feet, steady herself to bear the weight of him. It stood like that and did not move or speak, and the FBI man stood apart and pressed his fingers against his eyes and did not speak, and that was the last piece I saw of their story. Yeah. It was very powerful and very surprising. Yeah, I'm glad you read it out like that because, you yeah. know, this author does a lot with very few words. Right. And it was just a great ending. It was, and it's just kind of like, how do you describe it? 
it, it my initial impression upon the first reading is very different from the second time I looked through the story. Right. So, so yeah, now that we, we did spend a lot of time on the plot, but I think it was good to mm-hmm. do that. And I, I also think this is going to be a relatively short episode anyway, because there's just two of us. Yeah. Um, I think before, you know, we do praise and criticism, we should talk about what is actually going on in the story. Yeah. So initially I thought, okay, well, maybe this is, uh, another partner that she gets like Mulder has been abducted or something and mm-hmm. whatever. And then I realized as toward the end of chapter one that she calls this person Mulder. Yeah. Right. So initially I thought, Oh, we, we just got bait and switched and Mulder shows up at the end. And so it was somebody yeah. completely different. But now I'm thinking, what if this very observant person has some kind of supernatural ability to see I don't know, maybe like spirits or something or, or like a connection between people, even if one person isn't there. And so Scully has Mulder with her all the time as she's looking for him. But this person, this FBI agent, isn't actually there, right? And so Tori and I started looking yeah, through it. peeking behind the veil. And we started, <laughs> we started to realize that Scully is really the only one who actually talks to anybody. Yeah. She's the only yeah. one who does any any um, uh, questioning or anything like that. So Mulder talks to Wendy, but right. nobody else. Exactly. And it's it's interesting because right before we sat down to do this, CJ pointed out to me that because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh man, they only describe these people as you know the FBI agents, and they say Scully's name. And I don't think they say Mulder's. So you know, it was just a different guy, and, mm-hmm. and she's been looking at a different partner. Yeah. But if you look back through the story, they, he is identified as Mulder once by Scully, but yes. also they have all these moments of intimacy. Yes, which would be totally, totally not what Scully would do with anybody but Mulder. Yeah. And it takes her what six seasons to get there with right. Mulder anyway. So <laughs> right, and the whole yeah. rest of the story was how much she does care about mm-hmm. Mulder and has been searching for him and wants him back. So I think that is probably the most accurate read we're going to get. Of yeah. course, you know, there's always a little bit of mystery. The author does a good job with that. But that Sticking true to the spirit of the X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to pay attention to the story or mm-hmm. it flies by. And in fact, when CJ brought up that he's referred to as Mulder, the partner, only once, and that's why it slipped by me, mm-hmm. in the middle of the story, you know? Yeah. So you kind of just forget about it. Right. I went back and I'm like, did the author mess up or did Scully make a, like a Freudian slip talking to her partner or, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was the little details that where I'm like, yeah, I'm with you, CJ. I I definitely think it's like, he's some sort of, I don't know, ghost-like presence connecting to Scully. And this person, for some reason, can see it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's really beautifully done. Mm -hmm. Um. I guess we can get into praise and criticism now. Yeah, yeah. So um, we usually start with criticism and on praise. Yeah. So is there anything you want? Yeah, you know, it's uh, you gotta hit them with the story. Criticize. We gotta right. end on a high note. That's right. So well, I mean, luckily, I don't, I don't have much that I don't like about this. It's not over long. Uh, yeah, I can't really think about anything that I don't 
<laughs> don't like about it. That's okay. I mean, you don't have to. You don't yeah. search deep in your heart no, for something yeah, to dislike about yeah, it. I can't really find like any it. criticism. But what do you think? Well, you know, this is a strange thing to be critical of because it was more that this amazing other interpretation, right, was completely lost to me, except mm. for that one time he's called Mulder, that you very observantly noticed, CJ, but okay. I didn't, and I feel like a lot of readers, it might fly by in terms of reading the story, mm-hmm. and it could just be me, but, um, and maybe that's part of the mystique of it, is that you have to go through it a second time to get there. Yeah. But that's not everybody's cup of tea, right? It's not. And I definitely would not have if we weren't going over it for a podcast. <laughs> so right. That is true. That is true. It, that's a fair critique. I'm not sure if that's even a criticism because I'm not sure how else you would make the story work exactly the way it does so that yeah. the mystery is so subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. there's the possibility of having Scully call him Mulder more than once to kind of really hammer it in. Or, like, provide more proof that she thinks this person is older. Right. But then it kind of loses that subtlety. Because I do think the author was trying to, in a way, fake you out and have you. But there's no reason. It would be far more confusing at the end to be like, wait, that's Mulder, but that's Mulder. Yeah. I just, I wish there was a way that the author could have made us read the story a second time. Mm -hmm. And maybe there could have been something done at the end where, like, the first FBI agent fades away, but in, like, some subtle way where you're not sure if he's really fading away, but it's enough that you go back or or something like like that. He walks into Mulder's body or something like that. like, (laughs) oh. (laughs) Well, that would be really obvious. Yeah, it would be super obvious, but so would fading away, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, I was thinking more in the sense of, like, Wendy thinks she sees him disappear or she like goes around a corner and he's not there. Yeah. Or she just turns to say something to him and he's just not there. Yeah, exactly. You're you're like, Oh yeah, that doesn't have to be him fading out of a way, but it means something. Or like his transport is gone as well. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. No, I like that better. (laughs) It Uh, would be very x filey though. If he like literally walked into his body. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, uh, um, I don't know. Praise then. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to praise? The writing. Other than everything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's short and sweet, which I like. It it packs a punch, right? Like Mm -hmm. this person doesn't, uh, ramble much or get lost in you know tangents or anything like that it's it's a very short simple story they kind of express what they need to express and it's done very well and the words are well chosen it's written very nicely um yeah i mean the like the intro i thought was like oh no like this is i thought oh man is the whole thing going to be like the intro which is very flowery and whatever, but I realized that they were just setting everything up with this this slightly different intro. Yeah, I think it was just very well done. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely a reason we read out so much of it, and I'm glad we did. And there's multiple reasons. One is that the writing is very good, and the other is that the pacing is almost hard to describe. It is short and sweet, but the momentum kind of comes in these 
these bursts of moments. There's plenty of periods of waiting time. Right. This is what I liked about it. Like the author did a short story and they could still be like, for two weeks, nothing happened. And I read the newspaper and I found out this information Mm -hmm. and then come in with like these, you know, these little events that just build the story back up again. Yeah. Like bursts of action, I suppose, that kind of propel things further along. Yeah. And heighten tension. Which is hard to describe and hard to capture. You just have to kind of like yeah. <laughs> read through it. Yeah, it's just like kind of like a waveform going up and down, but it's also slowly building. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just really good plotting, I think. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with X-Files, but I feel like it fits the X-Files tone. It does. Yeah. Very much so. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's, I liked it very much, so. Yeah, and I did too, so. Uh, well done to Kipler. Um, And Amato hopefully uh, sent us a few comments from people, uh, reactions and reviews um, over the years. And one person described what they said perfectly describes how I feel. Um, They said, Strangers and Strange Dead by Kipler is a haunting story about abductees who start showing up in the woods one chilly winter. The curious coffee shop worker documents the odd happenings and the pain of lives left unfinished. Kipler's prose is a joy to read, as careful and ponderous as the story itself. The ending is especially moving and very prescient of Kipler since it was written before the X-Files episode Requiem. Requiem is so very true, because Requiem um, ended Season 7, and Mulder does get abducted. And is only oh. around for, I want to say, because David Coveney wanted to quit the show, right? Oh. So they um, kind of tried, they, they, Requiem kind of reflected, like bookended the first episode of the series and oh. was in the same place, which happened to be a town in Oregon where all these people were being abducted. And uh, he disappears for half of season eight. Duchovny finished his contract and he was oh. gone by season nine. Interesting. So, yeah. So, and then obviously there's Scully like looking for Mulder and that's like the last two seasons <laughs> basically of the show. Uh-huh. Like he's abducted, he's returned and then he has to hide. Like he goes into hiding. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was very prescient. In fact, um, maybe they, they inspired some writers. <laughs> I don't know. Addicting, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a natural place to go. Like, you're kind of waiting for Mulder to get abducted. He's asking for it all the time. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, you know, and it's um, it's telling that the author knew the, the formula so well that they could predict that. And mm-hmm. it's actually impressive. Mm-hmm. But, um, Ah, uh, I wanted to... Oh, that's what it was. I for, We forgot... I, I know you just mentioned it, CJ, but I forgot to mention the, the author's name, the story name at the beginning. It, it is called Strangers and the Strange Dead by Kipler or... I think it's Jolly Filk... Or Philly Junk. Kipler or Philly Junk. And it's on Archive of Our Own. Now, I'm sure Amato will be providing a bit.ly link there, but I do not have it. Um, and... Is there anything else we want to say in closing of this episode, CJ? I think we've said quite a bit. I guess it's going to be a short one. I mean, I didn't watch the most recent season, two seasons of The X-Files, but now I feel like maybe I should 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I, this definitely made me want to watch the Next Files. So. Yeah, I, I want to go back and, and tell Galen, like, let's watch the Next Files tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it felt very nostalgic and wonderful for me to read this story. And so, yeah. Thank you, Kipler, for a lovely experience. I'm glad it's still on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good story. Um, you know, I, I'm struggling here because I want to close this out, but I'm trying to remember how Amato usually does it. So I've given you the name of the story. I've given you the author's name. Um, and usually I would say this has been episode 98 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. The intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Pulpy's Incredible Adventure by Kwameku. The outro song is Red Against the Universe from the same album. You can find those songs and other works by Kwameku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Twitter, instant Facebook, or retrofanficretrospective, and... Any other place. We're on Podbean. Yeah, we're on Podbean. Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Um, I have been Tori. And I've been CJ. And we're just two Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care.